Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and keep you up to date with the latest employment law news. I'm Glenn Hayes, National Head of Employment Law at Erwin Mitchell. Hi, and I'm Joe Mosley. I'm a support lawyer in the employment team. I write our blogs and newsletters, keep the team and our clients up to date on what's happening in the world of employment law and HR. So, Joe, the sun's shining. What's on the agenda today? Well, I wrote a recent case which in which a previously valued employee was treated with suspicion and effectively demoted as soon as she announced she was pregnant. And I thought that would be a good topic to look at, not least because... I suffered pregnancy discrimination about 25, well, it was 25 years ago with my first um, daughter. And it's frankly really depressing that women are still being treated unfairly and in many cases unlawfully just because they get pregnant. And I thought it would be helpful for you and I to try and explore why some employers react so badly to that announcement. Look at the laws that are actually in place to support women and then look at some decided cases via a quiz. Right. Okay. So, um, do you want to share what happened to you, Joe? Yeah, it was it was really odd, and I I was working for a law firm at the time, nice. which makes it even worse. But so Lizzie is twenty five now, so it's twenty six years ago, roughly, and I was in line for a bonus. I'd met my targets. But my boss popped into my office one day and told me how terribly inconvenient it was that I'd become pregnant and all of the extra work that it would involve for him and the rest of the team. And I wasn't getting it. (laughs) Right. So, you know, did you sue? I didn't. No, I didn't sue. I mean, I was pretty heavily pregnant by that stage. I think this is true of a lot of women that go through pregnancy discrimination. You just can't be bothered. But what I did do is I left. So I returned after maternity leave for a very short period of time, decided that I was going to get a out come what may. And I found another job. And I think, again, that's what often happens to women. Yeah, well, I I think that I think that's right. Um, I think the last part of it was interesting because quite often employers pay enhanced maternity leave, for example. But you've got to stay for a certain amount of time. And I think, you know, post uh, post return. So you've got to. I think quite a lot of women grapple with that issue, particularly if they've been treated badly by their employer during that pregnancy. So, yeah, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think what we'll do as we we discuss this is I want to explore why so many employers still seem to see pregnancy as being an inconvenience to their business. So that's the lens through which they're looking at it. They see legal protections as being unfair and that inevitably leads them into making discriminatory decisions although often they do then try and cover them up of course yeah, yeah. well look i think i think i think you're right though joe and i think i think the reason for it is the starting point for a lot of people is god that's going to cause me a lot more work you know mm. i'm gonna have to pay this person and i get no output i'm not saying for a second that that's right i mean you know, we, we've got about 80 people in the employment team and 90% of them are women. So I've got a revolving door of people that tell me they're pregnant all the time. And, you know, it's it, it's it's great news for them. It, But I, I'd be lying if I said that it doesn't cause employers a headache as well, because it, it clearly does. So, yeah, and um, it's how you deal with it, it's the issue. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So shall we start looking then at how common this type of discrimination is? So. Yep pulled out some stats, some recent stats to help illustrate this. 
there was a joint report that was published by the government together with the Equality and Human Rights Commission in 2016, which found that 11% of mothers had lost their jobs, either because they'd been dismissed by their employers or they had been treated so unfairly that they felt they had to leave their jobs. Wow. Yeah, indeed. And in the same year, the Women and Equalities Committee found that discrimination had increased over the 10-year period, so from 2006 to 2016. And then to bring it right up to date, the charity Pregnant Then Screwed, um, they had some research and they'd surveyed over 24,000 parents. So it was a big, big, um, a lot of data to crunch through. And of those, half of all mothers said that they had faced some form of discrimination when they were pregnant or on maternity leave or when they returned. And what was really interesting about their analysis was that not all discrimination that these women complained of was coming from their line managers. You know, some reported that their colleagues were less than sympathetic and had made either hurtful comments or suggested that their performance had dipped and that they were picking up the slack. You know, despite it being 2023, it still looks as if we're in a pretty bleak place in terms of the, you know, the support that women get during this period at work. And I think that we we do need to acknowledge that with all of these surveys, you know, they are often about women's perceptions about being um, discriminated. So even if we sort of discount the fact that some of them may be perceptions of discrimination rather than actual discrimination, it's clear that the UK workforce is not a happy place for many pregnant or returning women. Yeah. Do you encounter many of these sorts of claims? Well, thankfully, not in our organisation, but for, for clients. No. Yes, um, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, yeah, we, we, we see them. I think it, it tends to be issues around the treatment of bonuses and how they how they are or should be calculated. So right. we get a lot of queries in from employers about how bonuses should be calculated. And, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the extreme example that you gave where, you know, you go to nothing, not for example. <laughs> You know, and, and obviously it depends on how the you know what the bonus is for effectively, and so we get a lot of queries around that. And and to be fair, most employers I think are trying to do the right and fair thing. Yeah, we get a lot of queries about redundancy, um, because quite often the employer might find that they don't need to, you know, they've managed without that person and therefore yeah. think they don't need them going forward. And again, I can sort of understand that, but we we also see a lot on the other side as well in relation to you know women overlooked for promotions and you know not given access to training and stuff you know what's the point if they're going to go off on mat leave and all that stuff so yeah right. sadly we do see it yeah well i thought we could start then by looking at the rights that women have once they announce that they are pregnant to their employer and i thought that as we go through these you could perhaps say which ones are only available to pregnancy or maternity leave if it's not already obvious. I'll try my best, yep. Okay, so shall we start at the outset of the relationship then? Yep. Well, so I think it's important to recognise that discrimination rights apply from the point at which somebody submits a job application, so they don't even have to be in the post in order to qualify for discrimination rights, unlike other 
uh, employment law rights. Yeah. So critically, a female candidate for a post, there's there's no obligation on them to tell you that they're pregnant or that they're trying for a baby. Okay. And you know that's a source of frustration, I think, sometimes for employers because you know what employers can't do really is to ask questions about you know do you plan on getting pregnant are you pregnant you know the questions themselves aren't unlawful but obviously what an employer then does with them you know for example if they then reject the candidate because yeah you, you know they they are pregnant or are likely to get pregnant then that's a problem or you know quite often you see it a bit more subtle than that saying you know we'll take the the 45 year old woman rather than the, the 35 year old woman because they're likely to you know there's of childbearing age or whatever although the, those age limits have you know completely changed these days in my view anyway but they shouldn't you shouldn't ask an, a, a, a female employee questions about the childcare either so no. you know you should assume that if they've applied for the job they should do it you know the, the the golden rule really for me would be would you ask a man that type of question you know it's, yeah and anyway the sort of working uh, parent type stuff's changed anyway it could just as easy be the you know the woman being the chief breadwinner you know, or, you know, going out to work than the man these days. So, you know, thankfully those um, things have changed and long may my wife continue in <laughs> gainful employment. Um, <laughs> but, you know, look, the tribunal are likely to draw inferences that the reason that the candidate didn't get the job in those circumstances was because of that pregnant or childcare issue. And, you know, that That's will be... That's if you ask them those questions. I'm yeah, yeah. And, and that yeah. that will, you know, the, that would require some serious explanation on the part of the employer, in my view. Yeah, because why else would you why would you ask it? Well, precisely. Yeah. Okay. I think one of the issues that employers find really difficult to understand, and you've alluded to to this in in sort of part passing, is why they can't ask a woman about their pregnancy if they're applying to cover a mat leave, or for example, they're applying for a fixed term contract yeah. that they possibly wouldn't be able to do if they are then pre- pregnant and take mat leave. So this is the pregnant woman covering the pregnant woman. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, but the same rules apply, Joe, in fairness. So you can't discriminate against the pregnant woman under any circumstances. So that means that if you appoint a candidate for a fixed term post and they tell you you're pregnant, mm-hmm. you've got to treat them in the same way as you would do for a permanent member of staff, which means you can't dismiss them, even if they can't fulfill the contract terms. Now, I can, yeah. you know, I, I, you'd have some sympathy for an employer in that situation, but, you know, the rules are the rules, basically. Yeah, I mean, I can see why an employer might get cross in those circumstances, but I suppose the, the point is that women are in an especially vulnerable position during pregnancy, and the protections that are afforded to them very much reflect that. Yeah. I, I did some digging around, and there was a survey that was carried out quite a few years ago by the Equality and Human Rights Commission, and that found that 59%, so 59% of employers said that a woman should have to tell their prospective employer if they're pregnant. It's interesting, I, isn't it? Yeah, it's, that's a big number, isn't it? See, I think what, what can sometimes happen, some of the cases we see, Joy, is I, I think sometimes women are accused of playing the system. Now, I pass no judgment on this, particularly from a personal point of view, but you know, I've seen examples of uh, employers say, we've just increased such and such as hours from three days a week to five days a week. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, after that announcement's made, they announced they're pregnant. And obviously the maternity pay is based on the higher amount than, rather yeah. than the, the lower amount. Yeah. And I've also seen people um, work the salary sacrifice angle as well. So, for example, in order to um, 
to get a higher maternity pay uh, uh, allowance in terms of the, you know, they, they max out the benefits which can't be touched during the uh, maternity leave period and effectively reduce the salary, which would have went down by virtue of the maternity pay provisions anyway. So, mm. you know, there are there are moves that people can do that, you know, might get an employer's back up. It's not, you know, it's, it's not for me to pass judgment on that. Really. Yeah, the but, point is they're entitled to do it. You know, they're not doing anything unlawful, are they? They're not, you know, being sneaky. They are just maximising the benefits available to them. And I suppose, you know, if you look at it from the other perspective, if you're only receiving statutory maternity pay, it's not particularly generous. Why wouldn't you try and max out how much, you know, you can actually get? I, I completely agree with that. I think I think my point is that some employers have got deeper pockets than others. Yeah, So, you know, if you're a small employer... And you have to, you know, take the example that we've just been talking about where the the, the pregnant employee covers the pregnant employee. Um, you know, there's two sets of maternity lay, uh, pay there potentially. Or maternity no, allowance. I don't think they would. Well, he probably wouldn't qualify in those circumstances. But my, my point is there's, yeah. there's there's a big inconvenience and, and smaller businesses might not be able to absorb it as easily as bigger ones. So. Yeah, 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 I'll take that. Okay, so let's move on then. So once a woman has told her employer that she's pregnant, what other rights will she have? Well, it, what the employer has got to do is to do a risk assessment. So there's, they should do a general risk assessment and that should identify any particular issues. For, for most businesses, that will be relatively straightforward. Yeah. But obviously there are certain businesses where a more in-depth risk assessment needs to be undertaken. So, you know, if you're dealing with chemicals or on a factory floor, for example, you know, the risks are greater. So you might have to do specific risk assessments associated with that. Yeah. And there are various things that can flow from that. So if the employer can't take steps to avoid the risks identified in that assessment by changing some of the working conditions or offering suitable alternative work, then they actually have to suspend the employee on full pay. And that's obviously a cause of some discontent sometimes on the part of employers because they're effectively paying somebody for no output in, in those circumstances. And that can obviously be for quite a long period of time, depending on what that individual does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's probably worth flagging that that also applies if a woman returns to work within six months, as in the, the specific risk assessments yeah. um, of having a baby, and also if they're breastfeeding. So if, and you know, I suppose it would be a fairly unusual circumstance, but I know we've dealt with cases that have been unusual, where a woman has been breastfeeding, has not been able to do her normal job because of the requirement for privacy to be able to express milk. Yeah, yeah. Um, and has been put on suspension for months. And of course, there's no limit to how long somebody can breastfeed. I mean, most women don't breastfeed beyond 12 months. But I mean, you know, you can, and some women do breastfeed until the child is three or four years old. Obviously, once the on top of the risk assessment, they're also entitled to time off to receive antenatal care. So it's not just appointments with medical professionals, but it also applies to, um, well, it might apply, the law is a bit uncertain here, on parenting classes. So you know, the time off includes traveling to and from the appointment itself. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't actually ask the employee to make up the time lost, which is in my view slightly surprising. They've got to be paid at the, the normal rate of pay. And the partners have got a statutory right to accompany the pregnant woman as well to these antenatal appointments. So and the difference being in their situation though is that their entitlement isn't isn't automatically paid. 
yeah. okay, under law. So, you know, there are there are things that, that, that employers need to be aware of that could be potentially disruptive. Yeah. Did you go along to see your babies when they were in situ? Do you know what? Um, when I didn't go to, we didn't go to antenatal classes because we couldn't get booked on, but we went to a few that, like things at like mother care and stuff. But I'm I'm one of these modern men, Joe. I might hide it well, <laughs> but I when my wife returned uh, to work, I actually had a month off um, on my own um, with with both of my two children actually. So for both periods uh, after my wife returned to work, I had a month off with uh, with Megan and Dylan. So, wow. um, and I went to all the baby groups and I sat there while Dylan stuffed his face on the hungry caterpillar where I think he literally ate the entire bowl of fruit rather than just the one grape he's supposed to eat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I even went to mummy fit in the park, Joe. So um, I was indeed? pretty much, I was pretty much shunned by all the women that was there, but at least I got to do some exercise, so. <laughs> Well, let's move on to maternity leave then. Are there any qualifying conditions for pe- for women to take maternity leave or can any working women take mat leave? Well, you've got to be an employee okay, is the starting point. So it's not available to casual staff who are engaged as workers, for example, yeah. or those that are self-employed. And that's a fairly large distinction in my view. Of course, yeah. And how long is maternity leave then? I know that it's changed over the years and I was trying to remember how long I got with Lizzie, who was what, 25 years ago now, um, but it was certainly less than it is now. Well, it's it's 52 weeks, um, but okay. it's made up with two different types of maternity leave. So the first 26 weeks are known as what's what's called ordinary maternity leave and the remaining 26 weeks is additional maternity leave. So as an employer, you've got to assume that the employee is going to take the 52 weeks leave. You know, quite a lot of employers would like to ask people how long they're likely to take. Okay. And but you've got to assume that they've got to take that 52 weeks unless they, unless they notify you otherwise and they have to give notice if they want to return early. So mm-hmm. the, the distinction that I've made there though between the ordinary and maternity leave is quite important because if the employer returns within the first six months, that 26 weeks period, the yeah. ordinary maternity leave. The employee's got the right to return to the same job that they left um, for maternity uh, on the same terms and conditions. Okay, yeah. But if they return within the second period, so the uh, uh, additional maternity leave, or at the end of the full 52-week period, they've still got those same r- rights to return unless it's not reasonably practicable to do so. So that's quite an important distinction. Okay, so can you give our listeners an example, Glenn, of when it might not be reasonably practicable for an employer to allow a returning mat leaver to undertake the same job she had prior to going on maternity leave? Yeah, sure. So it might occur where the nature of the business has changed. Okay, so, you know, think of a there's a case, for example, involving a solicitor who worked in Manchester and the team relocated to, to Leeds. So not a huge distance, but still, what, 50 miles, maybe in a shock and train journey for somebody that completes it fairly regularly. And and the business agreed that all of the work that of the type that she did would go to Leeds. Right. So the team, the team in that case needed somebody who could work in Leeds to support them. And she couldn't do that. As I think she lived in Bolton or somewhere like that. And, and the tribunal accepted it wasn't reasonably practicable for her to return to the Manchester office. OK, so. I'm guessing that the outcome of that case might have been different, Glenn, given that since the pandemic, lawyers do work remotely, at least for some of the time. Well, possibly, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, obviously, if there was an in, 
it, it might not be reasonably practicable for them to work five days in Leeds in that example, but it might there might still be a requirement to work two, for example. I don't, I don't know. It depends on the nature of the business, doesn't it? But yeah. certainly for the for the legal system, you know, most most legal employers now would, you know, if you work three days in the office, it's probably quite a lot. To be fair, now, yeah. you know, usually about two or three days in the office is about right. I think. Okay. All right, then let's move on to maternity pay then, Glenn. Are all women who are eligible to take maternity leave also entitled to pay? No, so this is where the, there is a difference, really. So they're all entitled to leave, but they, there is a qualifying service period required for pay. Yeah. So they've got to have worked for the employer for at least 26 weeks up to the qualifying week. So it's a bit, a bit difficult to get your head around, but it's the 15th week before the expected week of childbirth. And they've got to earn a certain amount of money as well. So if if a woman doesn't meet those specific requirements, however, for maternity pay, they might be entitled to maternity maternity allowance, right. okay, which is obviously a different uh, government uh, initiative. But the statutory rate, the rates currently, so obviously I mentioned employers, you know, paying premiums and keeping them people on full pay or whatever. But the statutory rates are that a woman has to be paid nine tenths of a salary for the first six weeks of the maternity uh, period. And then there's a fixed amount for the next 33 weeks. So that's 39 of the 52 potential. And, and the current statutory rate now is £172.48. And it changes every April, in fairness. Yeah, it does. So that's paid by the employer. Can it be recovered from the state at all? And I'm talking here about statutory maternity pay. Yeah, so if, if they can't afford to make the payments, then the employers can apply to HMRC to pay in advance. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you mentioned when we started this conversation, Glenn, that some of the issues that you're that you're having to advise on relate to redundancy. And I think it would be helpful to explore those in a bit more detail. And, I'm, and when I'm talking about redundancy, I'm talking about genuine redundancy here rather than something that an employer has invented in order to get rid of an employee. And there are loads of myths around this. And I thought that we could start by asking you to confirm whether an employer can make someone redundant when they are pregnant and or on maternity leave? Well, the, the straightforward answer is yes. Okay, so an employer can dismiss a woman if there's a genuine redundancy situation. But there are special rules that apply if she's on maternity leave. Okay, uh, so if somebody's on maternity leave, then they've got to be included in the relevant pool for selection. Yeah, they can be provisionally selected. And this is where the difference comes in, really, though. But if they are provisionally selected, the the person on maternity leave, which is different to a pregnant employee, so the distinction is really important here. The person on maternity leave must be offered any suitable alternative job before anybody else in the pool. So if, for example, I'm a, I don't know, a cashier, okay, and there's five of us in a selection pool and the, the employer needs to uh, reduce the numbers down to two, and there's a job as a filing clerk somewhere else in the business that person on maternity leave assuming that they're able to do the filing clerk's job in this example and it's suitable for them has to be offered that filing clerk's job before anybody else in that selection uh, pool okay and i think i think employers really struggle to get their heads around that and I, i've got to be honest joe so do i because what what would technically have to happen is you'd have to offer the the person on maternity leave that job even though they are on maternity leave and can't physically do that job at that time. Mm. So essentially somebody else takes the job for a limited period and then the person on maternity leave when they return can then take up that post. And I think I think that's the bit that 
you know, causes employers a headache and causes employers, you know, colleagues a real issue, really, and can obviously cause resentment. And, um, you know, I, and I, I've always struggled with this as a concept because, and, and the other issue is it, it appears to relate to only if it's a suitable alternative job. So if there's five people in the pool and you need to get it down to two, I don't, my personal view, although it's not 100% clear from the case law, is that it's not an alternative job if it's the two jobs that remain. There has to be a change in that role. Um, so, you know, that that's that's what my view on the law on it is. And obviously, if there is no suitable alternative job and the person scores in the bottom two in that example, then they can be made redundant fairly. Yeah, yeah, okay. But what happens if you're having to make a number of people redundant. So in in the scenario you've just given, you've got your five people, but you've got more than one of them on mat leave, but you've only got one suitable alternative job. Yeah, well, you go through a competitive exercise on those circumstances. So, okay. you know, you go with the person who scored the highest. Um, you don't have, Obviously, if there's one job, there's one job. And, you know, and it might involve a competitive interview process for those two, but to the exclusion of all others. So could you do could you do it as an alternative? So you could either decide not to have a competitive interview and just go with the existing scores and say, you know, Mrs. X, you've got um, higher score than Mrs. Y. Therefore, we're going to offer you the job. Or would you offer a competitive interview or would it depend on the circumstances? I think it depends on the job because the score, the score that you give somebody would normally be relating to the job that they do. Of course, yeah. Therefore, the reduction in numbers, it might be a different score for the job that they would they would go on to do oh, well, uh, see as part of the suitable making, alternative. Yeah. So, in, in my view, they might fall into the bottom category, and um, or if you if you're wiping out a particular role, then you know you wouldn't you wouldn't score them against the role that they're in. You'd score them for the new role. So, I think employers would just have to look at it reasonably, in my view. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I suppose we probably ought to mention at this stage that protection is going to be enhanced from 2024 in relation to those rights. Um, Women are going to have this protection from the point at which they announce their um, pregnancy and up to six months after they return. And we talked about this a while ago, didn't we, Glenn? And we're waiting for the regulations, which will set out the detail. But we'll talk about those, no doubt, when they're out. Okay, let's have a look at another myth then. Can an employer fairly dismiss an employee returning from maternity leave if, for example, a customer prefers the temporary replacement? Now, I asked this for a very specific reason. A few years ago, my cousin had came, well, she'd had twins. She came into work on her first day back and was immediately suspended. Welcome back. Yeah, indeed. She was suspended because the customer um, preferred her replacement. Oh. And they 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 just wouldn't entertain having her back at all. And they said there was no suitable alternative. So I know, think it's to... more common than you think this, Joe, because, you know, we all, you know, we all, we will all have biases for want of a better phrase, or we'll, we'll have some employees that are better than others. And, you know, if you take the pregnancy issue to one side and you just have to keep one person, then, you know, it's a logical thing to do. But obviously there's a added complication here of the um, 
the fact that you know a person's entitled to the return to that job. Yeah, for obvious reasons in that they've yeah, been yeah. disadvantaged, haven't they, by being out of the workplace for such a long period of time. Yeah. Well, it might be helpful then, Glenn, if you explain the law around that um, and the circumstances in which you can dismiss somebody returning from maternity leave um, in those in those circumstances where, uh, you know, the employer or the customer says, actually, we prefer yeah. the replacement. So, so you can only really do it if there's a genuine redundancy. Yeah. Okay, so preferring the temp over the person who's gone off on mat leave isn't a genuine redundancy situation, nor does it mean that it's not reasonably practical to re-engage the employee. Yeah. Okay, so if an employer dismisses in those circumstances, that's likely to be direct discrimination for pregnancy and maternity. And, and as we all know, the compensation for that's uncapped. And I, I don't think a tribunal would look at that particularly favourably, to put no. it mildly. No. Okay, so they're also likely to claim that that dismissal is automatically unfair, but you know, they would need two years service for the unfair dismissal part of it. Okay. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that the temp's better at the job, basically. Um, you know, you'd have to, you, you'd effectively have to dismiss the temp and keep the uh, person who's returning. Yeah. And what about if the maternity returner um, was working for a third party and it's the third party that are saying to the employer, don't send her back, we want to keep the replacement? Yeah, and it's a lucrative client and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, it's a real problem for uh, employers, this, but essentially what the employer should do in those circumstances it, it needs to speak to that third party customer needs to explain the legal rights i mean it shouldn't require an explanation but anyway they, it, they they would need to explain the legal rights of the maternity returner and they'd have to ask the employer uh, the, the client to reconsider yeah so if there's a commercial agreement between uh the employer in that example and the client you know does it include an anti-discrimination clause because you might be able to rely upon that to refuse but look, we all know the commercials of this type of situation. And if the if the client won't budge, okay, the employer really is going to have to grapple with a really difficult situation. They'd have to inform the employee before they return to work. They'd have to try and uh, change the, the client's mind, in my view. Um, like you would do on the dismissal of a behest of a, a third party anyway. You'd have to try yeah. and find them a suitable alternative role. Yeah. It's ideally no less generous in terms of paying conditions. But if there isn't anything suitable, you can't change the client's mind. They're absolute adamant that you've got to do it and the client's valuable. You know, you, you might be able to dismiss in those circumstances if there's nothing suitable. I, you know, it won't stop your employee from suing you, in my view, but you'd have a much better chance of defending the claim. And I think you'd have to really show the steps that you've taken to try and ch change the client's mind. You, yeah. you can't just blindly... Say, you can't oh, just say can, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Then, I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of employees will just want to do that, particularly if the numbers are valuable. But you know, you just bear in mind the effect that this could have on the employee that you know who is due to return, and um, what their loss of earnings could be, and the injury to feelings, and all of that stuff. So, you know, you'd have to tread very carefully, in my view. Okay. Well, the final issue that I want to explore is whether an employer can put a pregnant employee through a performance management procedure. So would you say that's fact or myth, Glenn? Oh, well, they can, they can, it depends on the reasons they put them through a uh, performance management procedure in the first place. So in my view, you know, discrimination legislation talks about a protected period. 
Okay. Yeah. But you can't put somebody through that performance management procedure if it's because she's pregnant. Okay. So there, there are things that employers would need to consider. Um, so things like, do these concerns predate the pregnancy? So if, if they do, then obviously you can continue that um, performance management process. But you, in the same way as you would for a disability, for example, you, you might have to consider adjusting the targets because, you know, the, the performance may be affected by the pregnancy, for example, and quite often is, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, if yeah. somebody's spending half the morning over the toilet thrown up, for example, you can't for a second suggest to me that they're going to be as productive as somebody who's not. Okay. So it's perfectly understandable that. So, you know, have they started since they were pregnant? You know, you know, what's what's the reasons for that performance? You know, is it due to morning sickness, for example? You know, under those circumstances, you might want to monitor it but not take any formal action. But if it's not related to pregnancy, then you could start the process. I wouldn't sort of set unrealistic time frames. You might have to put the process on pause during mat leave. But look, I, I've dealt with the dismissal of people who were pregnant before. You know, I have one case that sticks in my mind. It was we were I was asked to advise on the dismissal of somebody who was like literally a bully in a China shop. She'd only been there six months and was upsetting everybody, clients, customers, employees, a lot. And they were just about to go into a meeting to fire. And before they, just as they were about to say, I'm sorry, but it's not working out, you're dismissed. The woman said, I've got something to tell you, I'm pregnant. And the employer <laughs> went, oh, my God. So they all got out the meeting pretty quickly. And they said to me, well, you know, what can we do? And I said, well, you know, none of these concerns are related to this woman's, you know, announcement. You know, they were ready to dismiss it, but you're going to need some good evidence to show that was the case. Because time and wise, it stinks, doesn't it? It does, um, yeah. So... You know, you you'd have to be very careful in that that situation. And but the thing is, what what sometimes happens, Joy, is that all these performance concerns were sort of left and they're sort of stored up while people go on mat leave, and then all of a sudden they come back and then they're presented with them when they return from mat leave. Mm-hmm. Well, again, that's likely to lead to a complaint that they've been discriminated against. And time and wise, it's not it's not ideal. So. You can tackle the issue, you need to tackle it sensitively and you need to have in, bear in mind that, that you might need to make adjustments for that performance being affected by the pregnancy, in my view. So, Yeah, I mean, it, you, you know, you mentioned about storing up complaints. I mean, it's just simply not fair, is it? I mean, most women, when they come back from a period of maternity leave, need a bit of time to adjust. You know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, you've been away from the business for sometimes 13 months, if you count ho- holiday and all of that sort of in, in as well. It's a long period of time to be away. Yeah, and look, it takes time, doesn't it, to get back into the swing of things? Like I said about the demogra- demographics of our workforce, you know, we, we've got people who have been out for that length of time and they're terrified about coming back because the law moves so quickly, you know. Yeah. It, it, you can imagine trying to get to grips with stuff and, you know, you've got brain freeze half the time because you've got a complete lack of sleep. That works for work and dads as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, ultimately, um, it, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and, you, you know, a sensitive employer would be one that has a dialogue and tries to resolve stuff without, in a non-discriminatory manner, in my view. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a big subject. We've tackled is, quite yeah. a few... Yeah, it is. Um, we've probably only really scratched the surface, but should we move on to our quiz now? Yeah. OK, so first question. This involves involves a law firm. We've got a lot of law firms in these examples yeah. that we're doing today. Um, and this law firm was going through a redundancy process. There I know two... the case you're talking about here, Mr. Develli. You do. You do. I, I know the will... individual as well, to be fair. Yeah, I thought you might. It's a lazy <laughs> law firm. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. for the for the purposes of our listeners, let me just give you the rest of the information about the, the actual case. So genuine redundancy process, two candidates, um, one was male and the other one was female who was on mat leave and they were judged against a number of criteria. And the woman was given a maximum score by default on one of the criteria and the man was scored accurately. OK, so the man was selected for redundancy and he then claimed sex discrimination. Did he win, Glenn? He did. And <laughs> yes, he did. Can you explain why he won? Yeah, because effectively what the employer did in those circumstances is they automatically uplifted the woman's score to the maximum score. And the yeah. tribunal said that was discriminatory against the man. Yes. And um, so it's a really difficult one for employers. This And, um, you know, you've, you've got to try and come up with fair criteria that don't discriminate against either sex. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier to do than others. So, you know, if you're relying upon KPIs, you know, you might have to adjust those to reflect the fact the woman's on mat leave. But if if you take if you take a a, disc a disability discrimination complaint, for example, normally you'd strip out all the absence that's disability related. So mm. I can see what the employer, the reason why the employer in that circumstances did what they did, but the the tribunal obviously decided against them. Yeah. And say and essentially said there would have been a fair uh, non-discriminatory way to, to compare the two. Um, it's difficult though, because you're not comparing the same time scales if you're comparing one against the other. So you I know, should they, you be should you be comparing the performance prior to the woman being on um uh, being pregnant, for example. So it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose what it does do though is it really nicely illustrates the fact that the protection afforded to women on mat leave doesn't sanction positive discrimination. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's apart apart from the situation that I've just outlined about the about the suitable alternative job, which is why I've always found it really strange. Yes, yeah. Which yeah. is arguably positive discrimination. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, second question then. This is on a slightly different point, and it's about breastfeeding on return to work. So. This involved a teacher returning to work after having a second baby. She was breastfeeding and she asked for a room so that she could express milk. On her first day back, there was no room provided and she developed mastitis, which for any of our female listeners that have had babies might know is an extremely painful condition. She was signed off. And she told her employers that she believed she'd developed mastitis because she hadn't been able to express. OK, so when she yep. came back, they still didn't put in place any arrangements. And it's important to, to note that the tribunal said that that was because of incompetence rather than design. Um, and she then expressed in the toilets or in her car. She only had half an hour break and she had to eat lunch at the same time. Toilets were often dirty and she brought a number of discrimination claims linked to this. Do you think she won? Well, if I get this wrong, something wrong on the basis of the clues that you gave there. So, yeah, <laughs> she did. She did. She did win in fairness. Uh, yeah. Do you know why? Because she brought a number of claims and she didn't succeed on all of them. Um, so she brought an indirect um, sex discrimination claim. She brought a direct sex discrimination claim and she brought a harassment claim. 
Well, it, yeah, well, the harassment, let's deal with the harassment first. So she won that one because there was a degrading and humiliating environment for her, wasn't there? So, yes. Um, you know, that that was why she won that one. Um, I, from memory, didn't her other claims fail because she couldn't rely upon a detriment for sex discrimination and harassment? So um, it, it couldn't amount to be, it couldn't amount to direct discrimination. I can't, I well, can't fully remember what the... You remember the case. You're yeah. right on the harassment uh, harassment claim, um, and that was linked to sex because... Was in Huddersfield, this case, wasn't it? Murfield. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it was Murfield Grammar School, I think, which is it, yeah. half, the, half away down the M62. Ah, OK. Well, she she succeeded with the, with the harassment claim on the basis of her sex, not because she was breastfeeding, because um, obviously men can't breastfeed, but because expressing milk meant that she had to expose, expose her breasts. And that process was linked, obviously, to being a woman. Yeah. Um, on the indirect discrimination um, point, they said it was not discrimination um, because only women needed facilities to express milk. So there was no comparative disadvantage. Right. And obviously there was there was a load of um, quite complicated legal argument about direct discrimination. But because she'd already succeeded with harassment, she wouldn't have succeeded with the direct discrimination claim anyway, because you can't succeed with both. Yeah, that's the point I was making, albeit yeah. clumsily. <laughs> I suppose the point that I wanted to bring out with this example, though, is that women aren't entitled to breastfeed at work. So you've got no right to insist that your employer allows you to bring your baby into work so that you can breastfeed. But if you are breastfeeding, then there are certain things that your employer has to do to accommodate that. So there's health and safety guidance, for example, which says that employers must provide suitable facilities for breastfeeding mothers to rest. And that includes somewhere where they can lie down. But more importantly, it has to be hygiene and they are very explicit about this toilets are not suitable so if you are an employer and the only facility that you provide to a female member of staff is a toilet and she brings a claim you are going to lose that claim because you've got right. you, you have a responsibility to provide somewhere where she can do it and that's for as long as she's doing it and as we talked about that could be f for many months or in some cases years yeah interesting I mean, well, it's um, not it's not a difficult thing for em most employers to do. You wouldn't have thought, would you? No, but I can imagine it. Provide air facility. Yeah, I was just thinking about sort of peripatetic sort of um, yeah, yeah. females, though. I mean, it's, it's I can see it being more easily accommodated in an office environment. But you know, if you are travelling, so for example, you're a sales rep. You know, where are you going to do it if it's not? Um, uh, a toilet in a service no, station your yeah. or your car yeah yeah difficult. difficult yeah and there's been cases um involving air, st air stewards where they've been breastfeeding and even though there is absolutely nowhere on a sort of standard plane and you know i'm talking about you know one of these cheap planes rather than ones that have got business class and first class and all the rest of it i always yeah, turn no right anywhere joe don't worry <laughs> yeah but there's absolutely nowhere for no. you know women in those circumstances to breastfeed other than those tiny toilets that they have in um air aircraft yeah okay well i've only got two questions today because i think with them um, we've covered a lot of topics and we've probably talked for long enough good well 
that's it for today. So, Joe, we're going to take a break for the rest of August, uh, holidays and the like. And yep. so, I hope you. Have, I know you're going away next week, so have a well-deserved rest. And but please tune in in September if you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside expert commentary. So, thanks very much for listening. Thank you very much. Have a good summer, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you.